Good evening, church. My name is Corey Bendix. I'm on staff here as one of the pastors. It's so good to see you. Welcome to 715. We're doing it. We're making this thing happen. We are excited about this series that we are right in the middle of, a Sovereign God series. Um, I, I, you might want to add this. If you are a fella uh, and you are in the process of getting so desperate to cut your hair because it's so long that you're about to cut it yourself, if you could just put cutting my hair myself on, in the chat box. Uh, I, I don't know if, if it's possible, if we can get the word out, but if we ever have this pandemic again, barbers need to be essential. Amen. Can I just say that? Amen. Barbers have got to be essential because this mop is out of control. Welcome to 715. We're so glad that you're here. Turn with me to John chapter 21. We're going to look at verses 3 to 14. John chapter 21 verses 3 to 14. Again, we've been looking at this hope, this clear and defining theme in the entirety of the book of just when it comes to the Bible is this hope of a sovereign God, a God who's in control, a God who will not move, a God who is holding you in spite of a world that feels like it's spinning out of control, that we have a God who is, who is working all things by the word of his power. He's holding us. He's doing something in the middle of this. And so we've been trying to consider this idea of a sovereign God and, and, and really digging into that and allowing this beautiful picture of a sovereign God to hold us even when our grip on God begins to weaken. I, uh, I, I'm not sure if, you've, if you're like me, but um, there are seasons where I've been in between things. Um, like, for example, if you've ever been in between shows on Netflix terrifying thing to be in between two shows and you're just you're just desperate or I don't know if you've ever been you know in a place where like you're in between relationships uh, in between jobs Um, it's a hard place to be in between callings I think we find ourselves in a place where we're all in between we weren't where we were before we're not where we're going to be we're in between. It, it reminds me of when I was, I believe I was, I think, six years old. I was in Grapevine, Texas, and I was learning how to ride a bike. I, I wasn't on the couch not riding a bike, and I wasn't riding the bike yet. I was in between. And that was a horrifying season of my life, where I'm learning how to ride a bike, and my dad is in the process of trying to teach me. It wasn't going well. I ran into multiple mailboxes, skinned my knee several times. And, uh, but I, I was right in that place where I almost had it. And if, if you've ever been, if you remember back when you were trying to ride a bike, the bike is wobbling, it's shaking. You're not sure if you're going like, to go down at any moment, but you keep moving forward. Well, I was, I was going down this road, and then I took a left at the stop sign. Didn't even stop. Thankfully, no cars were there. And I was going down this road. Well, I completely forgot that this road I was on was the biggest hill in our neighborhood. It, was, it, was, uh, it had to have been a good solid 10% degree down, like, like going downhill. It was, it was a, a hill that will take your breath away. And I am... Um, riding my bike, going down that hill, and I've never been in a mo- more um, disconcerting moment of my life. I was, it took my breath away. I was shaking. 
my, my bike was shaking. I was so nervous. But then I started to hear this, this like deep breathing behind me. And I didn't even realize that as I was going down this hill, my dad was holding on to my seat the entire time. That I thought I was facing the worst moment of my life that was going to be an inevitable bike wreck. But, and for some reason I wasn't falling and I, didn't, I couldn't figure out why. And I realized it was because my dad was holding on to the bike the entire time. And in the midst of this season of in-between, I, I want to show you in Scripture the hope that we have, that we have a God who's holding on to us in the midst of the in-between. In John chapter 21, it's, it, this is the in-between chapter, specifically in Peter's life. See, in John chapter 20, we have this moment where the disciples are breathed on by Jesus, where he says, as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you, and he breathed on them. And he sent them. They're officially, they are a bunch of ragtag followers of Jesus that Jesus has breathed on. And in a moment, the church is created. And so you have John 20 where the sending has happened. And you've got Acts chapter 2 where Peter is this man on fire. He is proclaiming the gospel with such passion and courage. People are responding to it. And yet you have this in-between moment of Peter's life. He's, he's not in the sending. He's not in the Acts 2. He's in between. It's a defining moment in Peter's life. And, and we'll find that he responds in some ways that I think that some of us have been responding in the midst of this in-between season. That's been hard. That feels like it's taking a breath away. Like myself on the bike, it feels like we're shaking out of control. We feel like we're going to bite at any moment. We're going to just capsize. We're going to fall. Like things are going to, things are going to turn on its head any moment. We just know it, but they haven't yet. Like we're in this in-between, and the question is, where is God in the in-between, and what is he wanting to produce in us in the midst of this important season? Let's look at John chapter 21, verses, uh, we're going to read verses 3 to 14, but let's just start with the first two verses. Verse 3, and Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And two others of the disciples were, at, I'm sorry, Simon Peter said, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just pause and remember with me story of Peter up to this point. What has Peter done? What's been his mode of operation? What's been his biography up to this point? We find that he's cut a man's ear off. We find that he has been called Satan by Jesus. We find that he has denied Jesus and the way that Luke describes it is that the denial was so close that the two locked eyes. And then the result of this denial was that he wept bitterly. Find that he was asked by Jesus to pray for an hour, and what does he do? He falls asleep. Can, can, you, can you imagine, just 
let's just be real. Can you imagine feeling the weight of that type of failure in your soul? Can, can you imagine what it would be like to wake up every morning and remembering what you've done? And your shame outweighing the calling that Jesus himself had given. See, there's this beautiful moment. Jesus calls him. He says, I'm sending you. But no matter how defining and how altering this calling was, he was unable to move because of the shame in his own soul. There's a darkness that was permeating inside of him and and this whole idea that what we find with 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 peter is that he decides he's been in quarantine in this in this room where the door has been locked and jesus has met him twice up to this point there's been a moment where doubting thomas has had a defining moment that the disciples have had a defining moment but now jesus is about to have another defining moment specifically with peter and this word night is communicated as the setting. That, that John uses this word consistently all throughout his gospel. He uses night and darkness as this theme that is permeating not just in the moments that Jesus has in interactions with people, but there's a darkness on the inside of all of us. There's a night. And, and how, how does Peter respond to this this in-between moment of receiving a calling but having a shame that, that is, feels like it outweighs the calling. What does he do? He goes fishing. Do you remember what Peter used to do? He used to fish. What Peter, how Peter responds to the in-between is he goes back to his old life. Are, are you in a season right now where it feels like you're in the thick of night, that everywhere you move, like it just, you can't get clarity on what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to do it. You feel like you're supposed to do something, but you just, all of the doors around you, it feels like they're shutting. Like financially, things are shutting. Relationally, things are shutting. You're in isolation and your soul is shutting down. It's like the plug is being pulled. I mean, have, have, have you ever tried to make that, that, track from your bed to the bathroom at night? I mean, like a normal route that you should be able to do without a problem now seems and feels ominous when, when the, the lights are off and you're in the darkness and you're trying to go from your bed to the bathroom and you run into things. I mean, this is how it was for Peter. This is how it is for, for many of us. We feel like the darkness has just collapsed on us and we can't see right. We're, our soul is, is just, it feels so constrained. We can't get any wins. We don't know what to do next. We're in a season of darkness. Not darkness out of sin, but darkness that for whatever reason, God has allowed the lights to go down and now it's darkness when it comes to Corey Bendix. And what I do is, often, is, is really similar to what Peter did and that is go back to what you can control. Go back to an old part of your life. Have you ever felt like, man, as an achiever, I need to be active, I need to do things. So even when it feels like I'm in darkness, what do I do? I do what I'm best at. I go places just to, just to be active, feeling like I've got to produce. 
I've got to do something. And yet, like with Peter, the more he tried to produce, the, it was almost as if the less productivity he attained. He caught nothing. It was as if God was pulling the plug because he wanted, in this defining moment of Peter's life, to have an interaction with Peter himself that, that no man could ignore. This was a defining moment for Peter's life, and it was a, it's a defining moment for us. I, I, I wonder, as, as an achiever society that we're in, are, are you in a season of darkness? Are you in a season where just I can't see anything clearly? And yet, in this moment of, of not being able to be, have clear sight, so often as, as achievers, like in D.C., we, we try to just do something. I just got to do something, Corey. I've got to make money somehow. Or, or we go back to places of security that, that defined us before we met Christ. And now when our world is constricting, we go back to these old places of pain. The old life. And yet here Peter is, he can't catch anything. And yet, how does Jesus introduce himself to Peter? Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for, for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. You know what? My, my dad, he used to wake me up. He had a few wake-up calls. Um, he would come in gently and say, hey, Corey, it's time to, to wake up. And I would ignore him. And then he went from a gentle wake-up call to then he would, he would grab me and kind of shake me a little. And then, then the last one was he would take a water, cold water, and he would throw it on me. It, it, it's some, no matter which one he used, the conclusion was I was going to wake up. That, that my dad had creative ways of, of waking me up. And what I love about the way that God wakes you and I up is it's through his generosity. That we have a God who goes before us and greets us with generosity. And it is in that generosity that awakens us to himself. Do you realize that in this season where it feels like our world is caving in, you have a God who is holding you together by the word of his hand. That, that he is now, that he, he understands where you are. He understands the challenges. He understands the financial uh, strains that you are feeling. He understands the relational strains. He understands everything that is going on, not only in your world, but holistically within the world that we live in. And he's trying to, to now take his heart and begin to insert it into the greatest places of pain, the greatest places of confusion. He's trying to move you from where you are to ultimately an acts to you 
a you that will produce fruit beyond anything you could possibly imagine, but it requires your eyes being open. And how does Jesus open up the eyes of the disciples? He does it through his own generosity. He does it through his grace. His grace extended to Peter repeats the very same call that Peter had in Luke chapter five when Jesus uses the same words. Have you caught any fish? No. Cast your net on the opposite side. They did it. They caught way more than they could possibly imagine and it opened up Peter's eyes back in Luke five and Jesus is here doing the same thing again. Do you realize that God's grace is so patient he will use the same approach with you multiple times because he loves you and he wants your eyes and your heart to be awakened. This is what he does. This is how Jesus operated with Peter and this is how he wants to operate with you and I. Is that his grace is being extended and expressed to you. And I, I, I dare you to pause and even to look at the way God has provided for you up to this point. I mean, for many of you, you, sh you should have collapsed financially a long time ago. And here you are. It's God's grace that's awakening you. For some of us, we've, we've, we've felt, gone through a few spots over the last month where we feel our body getting sick. God's grace has gone before you, extended to you in generosity to protect you. For some of us, we have been sick. We're in the middle of, of this virus. And yet God's grace, you feel it. You feel God's support and his power quickening you. It's God's grace. For, for, for many of you moms, you're trying to figure out, how can I parent my kids well? I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I'm frustrated. And yet you have this, this ongoing energy that allows for you just to take small, steady steps of consistency to pour into your kid's life. It's God's generosity being poured out to you. You see, please don't look at that generosity in isolation. It's, it's being poured out to you in the same way it was poured out to Peter for a purpose. If, that God wants to do something both in you and then ultimately through you. And it begins with, with now the day, the dawn breaking. I, I love how Jesus is there saying goodnight to, to one season of Peter's life. And now, hello, good morning to a, to a, a life that would be uh, imprinted and would be defined by God's generosity that would forever mark Peter for the rest of his existence. And it happened with Jesus exiting one day, entering a whole new era. And that era that began as a result of the resurrection, it is continuing to permeate you and I. It's still alive and it's still active. That God's grace is being extended to you and me to awaken us. But see, I, I love how John was there to help Peter not miss the moment. Do you realize that it, as easy as it is for us to in this in-between moment, that we have a God of the in-between that is, is working to produce something in us and through us, but he also wants to use people to do it. It's easy when we're going through an in-between season where we just want to be by ourselves, We want to be disconnected. We want to push people away. We want to rocket ourselves. And yet the only way that Peter didn't miss the moment was because John told him, Peter, it's the Lord. Who's in your life 
that knows you enough and loves you enough to help you not miss the moment, the season, the reality that Jesus has brought in a new era through his resurrection. And it's dawning, and it wants to dawn in your life. It wants to awaken you afresh. It wants, it wants to pull you out of going to your old life, going to things that you can control, going to places that you can control, going inward. No, no, no. The, the dawn of Jesus through the resurrection, through the relationship with John, was allowing, was using that moment, that, that connection, that covenant relationship to awaken Peter to what God wanted to do in him and through him. And so the question is, what was God, what was Jesus doing in this moment? What's this all about? Is it just about provision? No, no the provision was the wake-up call for what was next. Let's read it. Verse 9. This is, this is where it's at, right here. Verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Underline that word, charcoal fire, those words. With fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And although they were, there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Do you see where he took Peter? He took him to a charcoal fire. There's one other time in the New Testament where the word charcoal fire is mentioned. It's in John chapter 18, verse 18. It's the place where, where Peter denied Jesus. Charcoal fire was the defining moment in his life. Scientists have proven that there is a connection between your nasal passages and your sense of smell and your memory. They're interconnected. For the rest of Peter's life, he would have passed by a charcoal fire and would have smelled it. He would have instantly been brought back into this world of his own failures. He would have been reminded of how he didn't deserve, nor was he supposed to be a vessel used by God through his son Jesus to form and formulate the church as we know it. You see, the charcoal fire was Peter's greatest place of pain. It was his defining moment. And it was in the in-between season of John, this little moment in John chapter 21, exactly a week and a half after the resurrection, which is ironically where we find ourselves today. A week and a half after resurrection, Jesus comes and he comes face to face with Peter at a charcoal fire. And what does he do at the charcoal fire? Well, the chapter goes on and Jesus gives a threefold commissioning. Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Threefold calling to now eradicate the threefold denial. You see, what Jesus does at the charcoal fire, his greatest place of pain, is he, he pulls out gently, 
with the care of a surgeon and a father, pulls out the failure and the shame and the guilt and replaces it with the hope of a calling that he couldn't do himself, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the authority of Jesus, he was now being commissioned to be the Peter of Acts 2 that we know and love. You see, what happens in the in-between moments that we have a God of the in-between. And the purpose of the in-between is simply this. He wants to take you out of this cycle of going back to the old ways of living. He opens up our eyes through his generosity, but he brings us to our charcoal fires. Charcoal fires where he wants to now extend a grace that we desperately need. And I don't believe this is a one-time event. This is an ongoing relationship that we have with Jesus where he's committed to bringing us back to the charcoal fires of our life. I'll give you an example of one of mine. Um, Over the last week and a half or so, a few weeks, you've been hearing how we've been doing some great things at Hernan High School or in the Hernan area. Um, And if I'm honest with you, I hate Herndon. I know that sounds bad, but let me tell you why. I went to Herndon High School. Herndon High School was the place where the worst version of me existed. I did things, and I said things, and I operated with people in ways that would literally make me want to vomit. The, the Corey Bendix at Herndon High School is one I never want to see again. I hate that person. And every time I go to Herndon, I am reminded of that person. And here I am, stepping into an opportunity to serve this amazing area, this region that needs so much help. And I get a chance to look face-to-face in the eyes of Herndon students, where I'm giving them boxes of food. And, And every time I did that, it was as if God was taking me back to the place of pain, my own charcoal fires, and is replacing the the quarry that I was with the quarry that he is producing now and in the future. And it's in this moment of handing off boxes as I'm getting like, like tears coming down my face, overwhelmed with emotion, because it wasn't just about giving boxes of food to families. It was about, about extending life where all I did was take and bring death to a, to a specific area. That God was bringing me back to my greatest places of pain because in that pain, he wanted to now bring new life. See, it, all of that has happened in the in-between, in the season of in-between. And I wonder, it, could this be a season where Jesus wants to now prepare through providing his grace for your life so that he can begin to shape and mold the Acts 2 version of you now. You see, as a result of John chapter 21, the in-between chapter between John 20 and Acts 2, Peter, he comes into life. He hits it straight on. His life will never be the same because of what Jesus was doing in this moment. And I believe that he is going to do the same thing in you as well as in me. That as a result of of us interacting with the God of the Bible, a sovereign God who's holding all things by the word of his power, that he is bringing us back 
to charcoal fires that have defined us, that we've been running from, but now we cannot run from any longer. We can't. We have no place to go. And so he wants to interact at those places with his grace to change us. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for a grace that is never stopping and never giving up. I'm wondering in this moment, for many of you, you're, you're hearing this message and there's your heart's being softened in a fresh way. You know that Jesus is, is starting to do surgery. He's bringing you back to some charcoal fires. Some places that you've been running from, but he's, he's awakening you to the fact that he wants to bring healing in those areas. He doesn't want to skip over him. He wants to bring healing. He wants to restore. He wants to renew. He wants to rejuvenate. Why don't you just pray with me? Say, Jesus, you know every wound that I've been carrying. Now I'm asking that you would take your resurrection power and apply it to the charcoal fires in my life. Lord, help me to not be one who resists your grace, but help me to be a recipient of your grace. Lord Jesus, I receive, I receive what you are doing in me. If you're here and, and you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't have anything in your own life that you could tie back to, to, to salvation, nor living a life that grows and looks more like Jesus every day. This might be an opportunity for you to receive Jesus as Lord and as and Savior. I want to invite you to, to pray a prayer. All, all, when you pray a prayer of salvation, that's a big deal because what you're saying in your heart is, I, I, I believe in you, Jesus. And when you do that, then what happens is that Jesus, he, he, through that prayer of faith, comes and he lives in you for the rest of your days and he changes your identity to now be a, a son and daughter of the king if that's you and you want to give your life fully to Jesus I want you to respond just with a s simple prayer say Jesus forgive me of my sins I repent I turn away from the life that I was living and I turn to you fully freely forever I turn to you well, thank you that you because of Jesus and because of his blood sacrificed on Calvary that it makes me a son and a daughter of the king that will never change for the rest of my days. Lord, thank you. I give my heart to you. Amen. Church, if, if you responded, if you prayed that prayer, I would love for you to text um, New Life to 25827. Follow the prompts all the way through. Or if you need prayer, there's on the top right-hand side, there's a, there's a link, there's a little icon that says prayer. If you could push that, we want to stand with you. I know it's a Wednesday night service, and but we, I think for many of you, you're, this is a moment, and this is a word, this is a, a defining um, scripture text that, that for many of us, we, we don't just want to breeze past. We want to lock in on. Encourage you. Take a few moments. Pray with one of our pastors. We want to stand with you in this journey. 
And then if, if, you, if you would like, we would love for you to take these three questions that are even scrolling now of, of some follow-up questions that you can ask with your family or in your small group of just ways in which you can t- apply the text that we read and, and actually like begin to go deep into it. Ways in which you can unpack it and begin to live into it. We love you. Thank you so much. We are honored to be doing life together with you. We will see you on Sunday.